Good morning, everybody. Kiamora, away, salute, saubona, bonjour, tumela, buongiorno, buenos dias, bonjia. Anything else? Swahili? Mambo? Mwibanji? I think I covered everybody. Good morning, Heritage Sunday. How are we doing this morning? Fantastic. Uh, I'm just going to set my timer real quick because I believe that if you stick to your time, I always use the statement, blessed are the brief because they shall be invited back. <laughs> so I'm going to keep it brief, going to keep it simple, but I'm excited to preach this morning um, on a message that I feel is I'm passionate about uh, and I'm hoping that what I share this morning will ignite something in your hearts. Uh, because it's from the heart of God, and he believes in it. So uh, let's hope that that happens this morning. Um, but I want to start off by telling you a story. I have this friend, and she runs. She runs a lot. No, it's not Pastor Musa. Um, it's not Pastor Carol either. But it's another friend, and she runs a lot. And she was telling me the story of how she either she runs at the same time every day. So it's either like 6 a.m. in the morning or... 6 p.m. in the evening or 5, whichever one it is. But she runs at the same time every day. And she's doing this for quite a few months. But like after a while, for about three weeks, she started noticing that there was someone that was sitting on the corner, right? He'd been sitting there every single time she ran. She saw this guy. She'd never seen him before, and she saw him living there. Um, and she figured he must be homeless sitting on the street. So what she started doing, because she's that type of person, is every time she ran past him, she started giving him a high five. First time, he was a bit hesitant. But then the second time, he gave a high five. Then he got more enthusiastic as the days went on and the weeks went on. So this one week, particular week, after I think it had been going on for about three to four weeks, every day, high five. She had never spoken to him. She would just give him a high five. On this particular day, she ran past him, gave him a high five, and then she went. He got up and chased her like chased her down. He, she didn't realize because she's focused on what she's doing, you know, specific time, you know, she, she needs to get her miles in. So she gets to a point where she's going to turn around to go back, and there he is behind her. And she obviously has a fright like everybody else would. And he gives her a bottle of cold water. How many of you thought that was a, there was a negative ending to that story? Right? Our mindsets. The way we think, are because of the way the world is, we live in a broken world. So because the way the world is, we're designed to think something bad might have happened, or must have happened, or must be happening. All he wanted to do was give her a bottle of water because she cared. She cared enough to give him a high five. When she went back, she started talking to him, struck up a conversation. She found that he was actually a graduate, doctorate degree, had lost his job, his wife left him, kids left, didn't have a house, ended up on the streets. He said for three weeks, in fact more than that, for three months, he'd never heard his own name being called. How sweet is it when someone calls you by your name? Imagine you not hearing your name for three months. And he said once he introduced himself to her, and she called him by his name, he started smiling. Because he hadn't heard it in three weeks. So have you ever wondered, as a Christian, as a church, have you ever wondered whether it's more important to seek to convert others to believe in Jesus through our words, or is it more important to, to fight injustice? Have you ever wondered that? Is it more important to evangelize, or is it more important to be socially active? Let's consider this. Should we love mercy or should we do justice? Micah 6 verse 8, and that's the first script that's going to come up. Micah 6 verse 8 says this. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Okay. So these questions that I asked might make us feel a little bit uneasy, right? A little bit uneasy, concerned, you know, why is he asking that type of question? I asked my wife that question and she was like, why are you asking this question? Why? Because, here's the thing, we're separating two things that should never be separated. 
should never be separated. Okay? We often do this all the time. You know, we're, we're so like, ah, I'm going to go and evangelize, you know, reach people for Christ because that's the mandate, that's what I should do. But then sometimes you forget the social aspect of it. The injustices that happen in the world. So here's another question. Should the church get actively involved in social justice issues? Or should we just remain silent, have our services, have our little holy huddles, and hope that things will change on their own? <laughs> should we? Or should we be out there because let's, let's, let's figure this out. What exactly is social justice? If you didn't know, that's what I'm speaking about this morning. That's what I'm speaking about. <laughs> what, do, what do you think social justice is? Because it's a bit of a tricky question. What does the Bible have to say about social justice? Because it is a lot that the Bible has to say about social justice. Because every time we open up social media, walk across a school campus or university campus, or sit on the TV to watch the news, we're always faced with issues that have the word social justice attached to them. And have you ever wondered, what does that mean? Because the truth is, if you were to ask anyone or people, a group of people, what are the greatest social justice issues today? I can guarantee you, out of nine people that you'll ask, or of ten people that you'll ask, you'll get ten different answers. I've tried it. Ten different answers. Oh, it's this. Oh, it's that. Oh, it's this. So what is it? But before I jump into the question and jump in a little bit further, I've got a couple of disclaimers. I'm going to be real this morning with you guys, as I can only be. All right? Um, so I'm going to be real this morning. And also... I want to, another disclaimer is I'm not talking about the church sort of being involved in social justice issues or promoting social justice issues, but rather speaking into those situations. And I'll explain it in a second, but I'm going to pray and then we can jump right in. Father, I thank you for today. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are a loving God. And uh, yeah, you love us. And I pray this morning as I speak that you'll open up our ears so we can hear you and open our hearts so that we can receive you. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the other disclaimers is I firmly believe, I firmly believe this, that the primary role of the church, as I mentioned, is not to promote social justice issues, but to speak into those issues. So when we come to Christ, we are now in the light, right? So we can choose to speak about the light, directly about the light, or we can choose to speak about what the light allows us to see. What does the light allow us to see? There's a lot of things that we see that other people don't see. Because this is the thing. There's a tension that is present because there are very strong feelings on both sides. Some people will say this, you know, the church needs to be out there. Picketing, rioting, standing on the front lines for social justice issues, for people and in the community and for injustice. And then other people will say, you know what? Churches should just stay in their own lane. Just stay there, do what they, do what they should be doing. But what should the church be doing? It's the next question I'll ask. So there's a question that's going to come up. It's quite a long question, but it looks like this. Is it worth it for us as a church to take a hard stand on something and potentially alienate people who do not agree with us, and therefore minimizing our opportunity to pour into them in terms of spiritual growth, which we deem as being much more important than social issues. Is it worth it for us as a church? So what are some of those issues? Poverty, racism, crime, police brutality. Yes, even in South Africa, human trafficking, Homelessness, human rights, education, inequality, gender-based violence, social issues. So let me make it a little bit clearer. So let's say the church has to decide whether they should take a stand for, let's say something like Black Lives Matter. Not the movement, but what the slogan stands for. Right? I know it's American, but it covers a lot of things. Or let's say this, to vote or not to vote. 
all right? And there's this whole other thing that's happening. It's not really a social justice issue. I'm going to mention it, to vax or not to vax. But I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to leave that out for today. But the thing is, a lot of churches would understand that if we take a stand on something, we might alienate some people who don't agree with us. All right? And I, put, I spoke to a couple of my people that I, in my social circle that, that are sort of leaders in our church, not necessarily this church. And I was speaking like, what would you do in a situation like that? And one of the guys was like, you know what? The reason why we might not take a stand is one, like I mentioned, alienating people who don't agree with us. Two, which means they leave the church, so we miss out on an opportunity of speaking into their lives spiritually. And one particular person mentioned this. He said, we lose the financial aspect that those people will bring into the church. It's like, okay. We lose the financial commitment. So in many cases, we'd rather just keep silent. And I was like, wow. What is it that the scriptures tell us to do? All right. So should we evangelize or be socially active? So the thing is, a lot of churches choose one over the other. Some place more emphasis on evangelism. Some place more emphasis on being socially active. But what we're doing is we're minimizing that relationship that should be intertwined. All right. Tim Keller mentions that it's like an aeroplane. It says evangelism is one wing, social activism or social justice is the other wing. If you take one away, what's going to happen? The plane's going to crash. So they work together to advance the kingdom of God. As soon as we lose one, we're not doing as we should be doing. The message crashes with it. But one thing I like about our church and every nation as a movement is we have committed to plant socially responsible churches. That's what we do. For many of you, some of you know that we minister in the community of Zanspreet. Right? Some, of, some of them, I don't know if some, some of them are here this morning, some of them are here this morning that have come. What is the goal again for, for connect groups? Sixty-five. Sixty-five people from going to community, loving people, and being socially responsible. So my message is entitled, The King, A Cause, and a Crew. I'll tell you why it's titled that in a second. Because the first thing is, what is the command that God has given us? So God is our king. What is the command that he has given us? Number two, what are some examples in the Bible of people taking a stand on social justice issues for a cause? And number three, what did Jesus have to say about this issue and how did he do it with his crew? All right, we're going to get into it. So here's the thing. If we remove social act action from our lives, the people on the outside, the skeptics, will start to be like, eh, it's cold, selfish hypocrites. That's what they'll say. And then if we remove evangelism from our lives, we'll fail to show them the reason for our actions. And ultimately, withholding our greatest source of joy, which is Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So Jesus shows us that the kingdom of God is proclaimed in both words and Deeds. Both words and deeds. The message of the gospel is heard through words, but it's seen through action. So if we're not active, we're speaking something, but we're not actively doing it. It's similar to what the Bible says about, if you don't do it with love, what do you, what do you sound like? Clanging single. It just goes, clang, 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 clang. You know those things. So we must be bold and brave with our mouths and our hands as we show the world Jesus' love. We all know this portion of scripture, Matthew 28. I'm going to read from verse 16 to 20, which says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. This is from the NIV, because the NIV is necessary in victory, by the way. <laughs> when they saw him, they worshipped him. Then, verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, not some nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything, not some things, I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So everybody needs a king, right? Everybody's looking for something to worship. Everybody's looking for the king. But where is he? This king, our king, as his world continues to reflect the attributes that we know are not him. 
or who he is. The truth is the king, Jesus, our God, has a relationship with us, his people, which means he has a relationship with this earth. He has all authority on this earth. When we come to the gospel, the gospel makes us new people. So as new people, we're still living in a broken world. But we're new. But the world is broken. So we need to act from the gospel to the world. And we must obey everything he commanded and teach our new disciples to do the same. So when we act from the gospel to a broken world, what are we doing? We're slowly mending the world, one person at a time. Being the salt and the light, so we're lightly salting the earth as we go along. All right, that's what we do. Now, what else is God saying to all people? Proverbs 31 verse 8 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Ensure justice. Speak up. So, the command is for people of God to stand up and be a voice for people who are not in a position to be able to advocate for themselves. So, if you are in a position of power or influence... Or authority, the mandate is for you to take a stand for people who are not able to stand up for themselves. And so usually, as a church, in most churches, we'll have some sort of influence in the community. Are you using, so shouldn't we be using our resources, our influence, our abilities to take a stand for people who are not able to stand for themselves? I remember probably 2008, 2009, there was this massive wave of xenophobic attacks in, in the Western Cape. Some of you may remember that. We're still living in Cape Town at that time. <clears throat> it was in one city, every nation in one city. And if you've ever been there, you'll see they've got this massive hall. It's now called the arena. And during this time, there were people that came to the church to say, hey, we need help, we're getting attacked, whatever. We opened our doors as a church to house people in that hall. I think it went on for like three weeks. Gave them food blankets, whatever they needed, because what the church leadership at the time decided is we are in this community. There's people that are coming for help. We can't just turn them away because we're scared of what's going to happen. Welcome people in. And for me, that was a sign of, wow, this is a socially responsible church. So some, some places would have just closed the doors and said, nope, not getting involved. Sorry. Psalm 146, verse... 79 says, he gives justice to the oppressed and food to the hungry. The Lord frees the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. He lifts up those who are weighed down. The Lord loves the godly. The Lord protects the foreigners amongst us. He cares for the orphans and the widows, but he frustrates the plans of the wicked. So true justice flows from the heart of God. He says so in his word. So when we show compassion and mercy to those that are less fortunate than us, we show the world that God cares through us, through our actions. But this also means that if we're indifferent to the needs of the poor, we're showing the world that God is indifferent to the needs of the poor. It's exactly the same. So when we don't do those things, in essence, the world is looking and saying, so surely God doesn't care if these people who say that. They love God and live for God, but they're not caring for me, or this is what he said to me. So biblical social justice therefore concerns itself with God's love for people, both physically and spiritually, in word and in deed, from our souls to our skin. That's what it means. Not just one way, but both ways. We must define justice according to God's truth revealed in Scripture. But this is the thing. Our ideas of justice must adjust to God. Not the other way around. Not, I believe justice is this. So God, you know, this is how it should be. No. There are many reasons, yes, to be skeptical about the use and misuse of justice and the word social justice. But we cannot escape this one truth. God cares for people. God cares for the pure, poor and the vulnerable, and we must too. Bottom line. So we see God's heart for justice clearly in Jesus. Jesus himself was the manifestation of biblical social justice. 
Why do I say that? Because he didn't succumb to favoritism or greed or the love of power. He treated everyone around him with fairness. He was sacrificially gracious and generous and moved towards people who were socially marginalized. Fifi was talking about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was socially marginalized because of what he was doing. What did Jesus do? Move towards him. Jesus upheld both perfect justice and extreme mercy through his death on the cross, taking the punishment for our sin while sparing guilty people from their own demise. On the cross, justice and mercy met. So everybody needs a cause. What is our cause? Verse 19 and 20 of Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Our cause is to make disciples everywhere. Find them, train them, dunk them, send them. That's it. Simple. Four steps. That's all we need to do. It's not that simple sometimes, but it sounds simple. But let's take a look at some of the examples in the Old Testament and in the Bible of men of God, some of them were prophets, some of them were just sent by God, who stood up for injustice, all right? So there's several examples, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna just touch on one, which is in 1 Kings 21. Uh, I'm not gonna read the whole thing, so if you have time, go home and read the story, but it's a story of Naboth's vineyard. So Naboth had this vineyard, really cool vineyard, right next to the king's palace. The king was Ahab at the time, uh, and he had this wife, her name was Jezebel, that one. Some of you might know the song, some of you might not. It's not important. But anyway, so he went to Naboth and he said, I want your vineyard. Because it's cool, I like it, it's fertile, it's right next to my palace. I don't have to drive far or call an Uber or whatever. I can just be there. And Naboth was like, how about no? Because this is mine, belongs to my family. It's the only thing that I have as inheritance to my family. So no amount of money you can give me or anything will take this away. So obviously, Ab was like, okay, cool, fine. And he went back, got home, he was looking sad and everything, and he went to his wife Jezebel, and she was like, what's wrong? He was like, I wanted this vineyard, but the guy said no, so now I'm sad. You know, like, I don't know what to do anymore. So she was like, are you not the king? Like, when your wife says that, something like that to you as a man, are you not this? Imagine how he felt, wow. My wife just, are you not the king? You can get anything you want. So she devised a plan. She was like, sit down, I'm gonna do this for you. She devised a plan, long story short, she devised a plan to frame Naboth, get him killed, and all of these things. And then she said to Ahab, here's your vineyard. Go and take it, all right? Now the point of the story is not so much what Jezebel did, but rather later in the story, God calls a man named Elijah to challenge Ahab and Jezebel on this injustice. God called someone and said, you go to the king and his wife and tell them what they did was wrong. Stand up for this, in, for this injustice. Um, so it also happened with David. David and Bathsheba organized that Bathsheba's husband get killed. Who was sent? Nathan, go talk to the king. Stand up for these injustices. So not only did those people verbally and actively speak out against social justice issues such as murder, but they also spoke out about corrupt judicial systems. Hello. Amos 5 verse 7. You twist justice, you make it a bitter pole for the oppressed, you treat the righteous like dirt. So what's happening here is a system in the Old Testament that was perverted and twisted and corrupt and favored people that were in power, sound familiar? Rather than people who were destined and unable to stand up for themselves. Okay? We continue in verse 11. You trampled the poor, stealing their grain through taxes and unfair rent. Therefore you build beautiful stone houses. Hello. You will never, you will never live in them. Sound familiar? Though you plant lush vineyards, you will never drink wine from them. For I know the vast number of your sins and the depth of your rebellions. You oppress good people by taking bribes <clears throat> and never and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Corrupt justice systems started way back then. And God called people to stand up against that. 
The overall message that God wanted to send to the people at that time is found in verse 21 to 24 of Amos 5. He says this, I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of religious festivals and solemn assemblies. Strong language from God, but basically saying, I'm not cool with the way you're doing church. I'm not cool with your worship. I'm not cool with your festivals. I'm not cool with all the celebrations because all of these things are being done in the name of hypocrisy. God said that. Right? How can you worship? Basically, he's saying, how can you worship me, a God, that is all about justice when you're carrying on, when you are carrying on whilst injustice is happening right in front of you? That's what he's saying. Verse 22 says, he keeps going, I will not accept your burnt offerings and your grain offerings. I won't even notice all of your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your hops. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice and an endless river of righteous living. I didn't say it. I did repeat it. But I believe that the message that God is trying to say through Amos is that, hey, what good is it to be a religious system or this wonderful church that talks about all these things and promotes a God of justice and yet we ourselves are not doing anything to stand for justice against those that are, that are faced with injustice? What good is it? We're going to speak about all these things. Poverty, racism, corruption, homelessness, human rights, inequality, the list goes on. But you'll struggle to find a consensus on what aspects of these social issues are the real problem. And how do we address each of these, these problems? Now, this is the thing. To confuse us even more in this day and age, people often use Jesus to become a part of their cause. So Jesus is dressed up like, you know, those store mannequins, right? Like a mascot. Jesus is used like that, dressed up to whatever serves them best. Political parties, social movements parade Jesus around like their personal hero who champions their agenda. It happens. This often leaves us confused about what God really wants for the world we live in. Where is he as his world continues to reflect attributes that we know are not who he is? And with all of this white noise, how are we supposed to know what true justice is? I'm going to give you the answer. We must appeal to something that doesn't change with trends or current popular ideas. For truth to be permanent, we need something eternal to root it in. And what is that? God and his word. God and his word, which is permanent and never changing. So the question is, what did Jesus have to say about social justice? Because you might be thinking, that's the Old Testament. We spoke about Old Testament. What did Jesus have to say? Ah, he did say something. Because his only goal was to love God and care about the things and people that God cared about. Luke 4 verse 18. Jesus tells us exactly why he came. Do you remember that? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, send me to proclaim that the captives will be released, the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free. The primary reason was to proclaim the good news. Primary reason. I came here to proclaim good news. That's the very first thing he came to do, right? But there's no denying that as you read the other things, that there are some issues of social justice that Jesus came to rectify in the culture that he lived in. Matthew 23, verse 23, he says, What sorrow awaits the teachers, speaking to the, the Pharisees, what sorrow awaits the teachers of religious laws and you Pharisees? We know about the Pharisees, right? Hypocrites! says it again for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income but you ignore the more important aspects of the law justice mercy and faith you should tithe yes but do not neglect the more important things now i don't know about you jesus is essentially saying like what was said in amos doing all these things but he calls don't neglect the more weightier things. And the first thing he mentions is justice. I don't see many examples in the Bible where there's injustice going on and the people of God are told to remain silent. I've looked. God is always saying, hey, go stand up for that. Go stand up for those socially marginalized. 
Now, I don't necessarily believe that churches and church leaders should get involved in every single social issue because then we'd just be busy all day. But what I do believe in is that churches, church leaders, and us as Christians should prayerfully seek the Lord as to which specific issues of social justice that we need to take a stand on and make sure that our voices are being heard for those whose voices are not being heard. But more importantly, anytime the church gets actively involved in social justice issues, we must always remember that our primary goal is to advance the kingdom rather than to simply just invoke a change on the earth. It's not just about invoking change in those areas. It's about advancing the kingdom. So how did Jesus know how to respond to each person and situation? Jesus was present, fully present. So Jesus shows us that we must be relationally present with hurting people. Relationally present. The key to biblical justice, social justice, is relational present, presence. Consistently ongoing personal relationship with people who are suffering is the number one way that God will grow our heart to be like his. When we're relationally present, it it's, doesn't help to just click like and share on social media. Oh, I see that's happening. Share. I don't like this. Okay. What are you doing about it? I just shared it to my 15 followers. If we want to help transform lives, if you, let me say you, if you want to help transform lives, you've got to have the personal relationships with hurting people. Now, at the beginning of this year, we had a, a leadership meeting via Zoom, because you know how the world is. Um, and one of the pastors from, from In One City, he had this word for our church. And he said that our church is going to become like, in, in paraphrasing it, but I would say it, a hospital for the broken. We're going to be attracting people who are coming in from broken relationships, hurting, pain. The question I want to ask, are you going to be part of that crew that's going to welcome them in? Because when we see our lives through the eyes of God's kingdom mission and gain his heart for the world, we live differently, therefore we should love differently. We can't be the same. The truth is, whether hidden in a home or it's out on the streets, dark and deep injustices occur every single day. even to the youngest and innocent children, hurts my heart to see those things happening. And in today's world, there's literally no nation on the face of the earth without the presence of the least of these. Jesus said the least of these. When you do this, the least of these, you're doing as to me. But the least of these are the ones who suffer the greatest. So in closing, I want to just say, Today's world carries with it darkness that shouldn't sit well with us as followers of Christ. There's darkness in our world. But it should produce an uneasiness that should be a deep burden that's difficult to dismiss and it should drive us to act because we were redeemed to carry the light to the world. That's why we're here. So I want to challenge you this morning. Do you want to be part of helping to transform lives? Because you've got to have personal relationships with hurting people. Are you ready to be personally relational? The truth is, the world needs someone. But that someone is you. Someone is you. I'm going to pray. I just sense that if, if you're sitting here this morning and maybe something I've said has sort of touched something in your heart and you say, I want to be, be that person that is deeply relational. And I want to pray for you this morning. 
that God would give you the opportunities to do that. Is that okay? If I can pray for that. Father, I thank you for everybody that is wanting to be a part of making the difference in the world, being relational to hurting people, sharing, being part of the crew that has a cause because you are our king. So I pray that this morning as they as they open up their hearts to these new things or new ideas or maybe open up their doors to someone, Father God, I pray that you would use the love that you've placed in their hearts to touch people's hearts, Father God, and bring them closer to you. And I pray that we'd remember that the overall message is that we want to advance your kingdom and bring a change and a stop to the social ills and the social injustices in our world today. I pray that you give us the strength and the boldness to speak up when we see things that are wrong. Because ultimately you have given us the boldness and the courage when you died on the cross for our sins. May justice and mercy be prevalent in our lives, in our relationships, that in every single day with the people that we meet. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Such a great word. Can we give Calvin a hand? Don't go anywhere, Calvin. I wanted to, I wanted to include something in that prayer. Thank you for that. It talks about in... Ephesians 1, it says this, we were sealed with the Holy, with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What does that mean? It means the Holy Spirit in you, on you, is a guarantee of the kingdom coming on earth. The Holy Spirit on you is a guarantee that heaven is invading this earth through you. It is a foretaste of the glory that is to come. It is, it's God saying to you, this, this injustice won't last, this pain won't last. I have a plan and I'm working through you to bring my plan. So I just wanna pray for more of the Holy Spirit on us. I wanna pray for power, courage, energy, wisdom, understanding on us to be the kind of people who will proclaim the gospel and will live the life. We will love mercy and we will do justice. So Lord, right now I pray for each person here. Holy Spirit, would you come in power? Lord God, I'm asking, I'm asking for more than just goosebumps. I'm asking, I'm asking for your presence invading our lives that will not let us sit quietly when injustice happens. That will not let us ignore the person on the corner. Will not let us ignore the pain in our families. Will not let us ignore our neighbor who we know is suffering. Lord God, I'm asking that each of us would have your cause as our first agenda. Lord God, come, fill us again. Lord God, we, we need more than our own wisdom. We need more than our own resources. We need you. Lord God, we need, we need five loaves turned to feeding 5,000. We need water turned to wine. We need, we need incredible, miraculous intervention in our resources to get things done. We need healing power in our hands, Lord God. We need words that smash strongholds. Lord God, we need the power of heaven. Come and do this, Lord, I pray.
and a somewhat sad announcement. So I'm going to invite you to take your seats. I'm going to invite um, the elders and leaders to come up. Come up, Calvin. Wasn't that an amazing word by Calvin? You know, very few people put words together like Calvin. It's just, it's so amazing, so great. We love, we love Calvin's heart for social justice and for the gospel and for the next generation. Absolutely amazing. So, Ilza, come on up. Those of you who don't know Ilza, this is, I wanted to say Calvin's better half, but this is the, this is the completion of the whole thing. <laughs> it's the two wings of the aeroplane. Thank you, darling. <laughs> right, right here. Calvin and Ilza, who are such an integral part of our church. The sad part, well, the, the good part is they're, they're not moving. Is that okay with you? The sad part is that they are relocating. So, so they are not moving out of our community. They're going to be a part of us and um, are going to still serve in this church. But they are relo- for a season. They are, they are relocating to Cape Town. There have been some health challenges and some family challenges. And all of their family are down in Cape Town. And they feel like they need the support of the mothers and fathers um, that are no longer up here. So they are going to go and be down there. And we are here to pray for them and send them out and introduce you to the people who are going to be taking over our youth. But Kelvin and Ilsa are still going to be with us um, online. Kelvin's going to be flying up. They're going to be overseeing um, the transition and they're going to be very much with us probably forever because that's yeah. just who they are. But I would love to hand over to you guys. Anything you want to say or just add to that, um, tell us your story. I feel like I've been talking the whole morning, so okay, that's fine. Uh, yeah, I think Pastor Carol summed it up pretty, pretty well. Um, 
we just feel like that's our season is not over here but we feel like we need to be there if that makes sense i don't know how if don't if i can comprehend it any other way mm -hmm. um but we love this church we love this family there's nothing wrong with it we're not running away um we just feel that this is this is where god wants us to be for the next for the next season um and we know that uh yeah god is still going to do amazing things in this church um whether or not we are physically here we are going to be here in spirit and like you know because of the world we live in online uh so that's <laughs> that's it from me i don't think anything else Awesome. So we're going to pray for Calvin as he goes, but also we want to introduce um, Marie and Keith. Are you both here? Won't you just come up? Come on up. Can we give them a hand? They, they're not a couple. They're not like, they're not like something. Marie has another husband and Keith come and stand up. Uh, oh, she, has, she has a husband. That's not Keith. And Keith is, is still waiting for his wife, just saying, just saying. But Marie and Keith uh, will be overseeing the youth under the leadership of Calvin. And so we are just so excited. Keith is a homegrown, every nation Ramesach leader. When did you start in this church? Like we were like seven. When, 2007, so he's been with us. He was, I don't know, you were, you were still shorter than me at that stage. <laughs> yeah. So he is a homegrown Every Nation Ramsacher, and we are so proud of him. So he's going to be taking over co-leadership of the youth. Marie hails from Every Nation Stellenbosch. She's been around for a while, so she's a, she is now a homegrown Every Nation Ramsacher totally with us and just a seasoned minister and excellent um, at youth leadership. So the two of them are going to be um, taking over. I want us to do two things. First of all, I want us to pray for Calvin and Ilza, and then I'm going to ask Calvin and Ilza to pray for Keith and Marie. Would that be okay? So won't you just extend your hands, Lead us come lay hands or lay hands from a distance, COVID distance. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, our hearts, our hearts break and rejoice at the same time. Lord God, we just celebrate the incredible addition of this couple to this family, Lord God. And we celebrate the incredible impact that they're going to have on an ongoing basis with us, Lord. But Father God, our hearts also mourn. We mourn that they won't be as close. We won't see them as often, Lord God. But but in our hearts, we understand, Lord God, that you are taking them to something that is so good for them, that is so right, that is so true. And so, Father God, we celebrate with them the blessing and the wholeness and the beauty that is coming to them in this new season. Father God, I ask just for increase and grace upon them, Lord God. Father God, we ask for a smooth, a smooth transition, a, a soft landing, a glorious place that you've already prepared for them. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we bless this family. We recognize that you made family the building block of society, that marriage and family comes before ministry, comes before work, comes before every other endeavor we put our hands to outside of our walk with you. And we thank you, Lord, that as they are taking this step for the sake of their family, that this will be blessed in Jesus' name. We bless Amari, we bless Nyla, we declare that they will very quickly fit into that new environment. And that, Lord, where they are, they will expand the kingdom, that they will lightly salt Worcester in Jesus' name. It will be like Worcestershire sauce, bro. But Lord, we, we just declare whatever emotions are going on, we know that there are challenges, there's vulnerabilities, there's leaving something, embracing something new. We, we declare right now it's all covered by the blood of Jesus. And that you, Lord, are in charge. This is your church. These are your people. That, Lord, you will put them in the right place, bless them, cause them to grow and prosper. That you will bless those who rise up from under them. And they will grow and prosper. And this church will grow and prosper. And whatever they get involved in there will grow and prosper. And we just thank you, Father, that the enemy may not touch this in any way. May not take advantage of any vulnerability in Jesus' name. Only the power, the anointing, the blessings, the grace, and the angels of the Lord may surround and go with them in Jesus' name name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. 
Lord. Amen and amen. Guys, can we hand over to you? Father, thank you for these two amazing leaders standing in front of me, Father God. And I thank you that you have called them for such a time as this. You have ordained this moment. You have called them to be in this place at this time, Father. So I just pray that even as as they take this step into something that might be unknown territory, Father God, I pray that you would light their path and that every step they take would be a step that you have already been ahead of. We know that already, but I pray that even as they negotiate the season and negotiate the changes and the difficulties that it comes with, Father God, I pray that you would ease their hearts, give them the peace, give them the creativity, the innovation to come up with new ideas and do new things that are different, Father God. And I know that they will do greater things than we have ever had or the desires that I had as for this ministry. I know that it is going to flourish in Jesus' name. Father God, so I, so I thank you that you have you've given them the ability already, way before time. And I just pray that even as they step into this, God, that you would shine in their lives may the light shine through them and may every single young person that they touch that they come into contact with that they relate to be changed forever because of the relationships that they have with them so we bless keith we bless marie and we bless the work that they'll be doing uh, in this community in jesus name amen Lord, and I, I just want to pray one other thing. I ask for a mantle and a Holy Spirit anointing on yes. them, Lord God. Lord God, beyond their own abilities, that's what we ask, Lord God. Surprise them with your glory. Amen and amen and amen. Well, great church, you're welcome to come speak to these afterwards and congratulate and love on Calvin and Ilza. Congratulate and love on Marie and Keith. But in the meantime, won't you stand? I just want to bless you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Go live the kingdom. Be who you are. Unashamedly declare the hope you have. God bless you. We love you. Amen.